0: You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Neuroscience research over the last four decades has shown that understanding how the brain registers and integrates relationship and life experience can guide us to more effective pharmacological and psychotherapeutic treatments within psychiatry. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and with me today is Dr. Alan Shore, a member of the clinical faculty of the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences at UCLA's David Geffen School of Medicine and at the UCLA Center for Culture, Brain, and Development. He's the author of numerous books and articles in the areas of neuroscience, psychiatry, psychoanalysis, developmental psychology, pediatrics, and trauma. Today, we're discussing neurobiology in psychiatry does early relationship experience affect the neurochemistry of the person's brain? Uh,
1: This is absolutely established at this point in time. Again, we're looking at here relationships, uh, interpersonal relationships being actually the central force which impacts the early development of the brain, the early neurochemistry of the brain. And we're now talking about in both positive and negative ways here. Uh, On the one hand... The early environment can act as an enriched environment, a growth-facilitating environment, which allows for the brain to grow to more complexity, especially this right brain to grow to more complexity. On the other hand, uh, abusive or neglectful early relationships can have a negative impact on the brain, even increasing biological processes of apoptosis and the destruction of neurons and synaptic connections. But the effects, now it is now thought that the all models of the predispositions to later psychiatric disorders are grounded in early development, both Axis 1 and Axis 2, Axis 2 becoming more important, the severe personality disorders, which are becoming more common here. And incidentally, we're now talking about increases of psychiatric disturbances, especially in children, as documented in a number of studies, including one that I was a part of hardwired to connect commission on children at risk. So we're now looking at essentially this neurobiological, psychoneurobiological basis of all forms now of psychopathogenesis.
0: Why would there be an increase in psychiatric problems in young children?
1: Well, a lot of people are not speculating about this matter here. I mean, there's no doubt that it is documented. There have been certain speculations about it from my own Thinking, uh, it seems to me that the first two years of life has been uh, undervalued, perhaps, in our society. Uh, in all European societies, mothers have about 36, 40 weeks of, of leave before they have to return to work. In this society, um, that's not the case. And just for the record, in a very recent UNICEF study that came out two months ago, the United States in child uh, health, mental health, was 21 out of 22. But we now know that the mother-infant bond is critical in the first year of life. This is actually directly connected to the hard wiring of the brain we need to attend to these matters for that reason. I've spoken, you know, in Washington, D.C.
0: So can early relationships with caregivers then predispose a child to later depression, anxiety, attentional problems, even drug abuse?
1: We're now thinking about models which put together nature and nurture. So it's now thought that the outcome, the attachment outcome, which is a key because we know that secure attachments are a marker for resilience and insecures are one for high risk situations. In the end, and it's the genetic predisposition the genetically encoded uh, predisposition of the infant in conjunction with the caregiver experience that really give us the uh, the attachment outcome here that means that the nature of the relationship uh, is is essential now there has been a great deal of study at this point in time on early histories of abuse and neglect and my in my own work I have worked quite a bit with the problem of early relational attachment trauma Again, what if there were severe alterations in the early situations, such as, again, you see in abuse and neglect, just for the record, neglect is overlooked, and it's much more uh, potent in negative effects later down the line than abuse. These are causing massive alterations in the biochemistry of the infant during these experiences, which are, again, negatively impacting the circuits during a critical period of growth. And again, you're talking about the hypothalamic pituitary axis, the stress-coping mechanism being affected here by the higher structures in the brain, et cetera. And so essentially what we're looking at is initially the baby's brain is being regulated, the emotional states by the other, then it internalizes these into these systems, et cetera. So that yes, in cases, we're now thinking that therefore even situations as a predisposition to later drug use would all, or alcoholism also would be affected here. And my work has focused upon that part of the prefrontal cortex, the orbital prefrontal cortex, which appears to be the major stress-regulating area of the brain. This has been shown to be dysfunctional in every psychiatric disorder.
0: What about in adults, in ongoing relationship experiences in the adult brain? How is that affecting the structure and function of their brains?
1: Well, let me just say, the the limbic system, the emotion-processing limbic system, is actually the most plastic part of the brain, number one. And number two... The right hemisphere comes back into later growth spurts. The problem is that in cases of psychotherapy, such patients really react best to not insight or higher forms of uh, kind of intellectually, cognitively oriented therapy, but more on affectively focused therapy therapy in which the therapist is acting as an interactive psychobiological regulator of the patient's states so this is part of all human interactions and we know the term earned secure attachments This means that people, even with the poorest of early beginnings, if they can come into a strong relationship with someone who can be a good regulator of positive and negative emotions, we are seeing changes at the level of character and at the level of brain. So the psychotherapy is now focusing its models that are essentially on these right brain to right brain models and focusing on the primacy of affect and uh, and therefore the change mechanism itself we're getting a better idea of what the change mechanism is in therapy
0: then what is the relative role of um medication psychopharmacological medication and psychotherapeutic intervention in the treatment of these disorders this
1: is being now evaluated very carefully i think that there's no doubt in the cases of the more severe axis 1 disorders uh, schizophrenia bipolar etc that these drugs are needed. Essentially, these drugs are acting on the monoaminergic systems. Um, I should have pointed out at the beginning that essentially the mother is essentially regulating the monoaminergic systems, serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline. So the drugs that are used now are essentially acting on serotonin and dopamine. On the other hand, there is now more and more evidence to show that in the cases of the severe personality disorders, such as borderline personality disorders, who are high utilizers of medical treatment because they they have psychosomatic symptoms, that psychotherapy, the American Psychiatric is now saying that psychotherapy is actually more effective than pharmacology. And we're now seeing studies coming out showing more and more the effectiveness of psychotherapy with these treatments here. Even in cases of pharmacology, let me point out that the relationship between the doctor and the patient would be be a critical factor there too.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to REACH MD XM two thirty three, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and with me today is Dr. Alan Shore, a member of the clinical faculty of the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences at UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine and at the UCLA Center for Culture, Brain and Development. We're discussing neurobiology with in psychiatry. And so what does your work suggest is the best approach to the treatment of a problem like aggression and violence?
1: Let me just tack on one thing from that I just mentioned before, and that is that Candell, who has just won the Nobel Prize, has said straight out that psychotherapy changes the brain function. So we're now coming to that idea about the efficacy of psychotherapy. We're looking at aggression essentially as a disorder of affect regulation, In this case, if terror is dysregulated in PTSD, for example, and if depression is dysregulated in in the more dysphoric and depressive disorders, in aggression dysregulation, we're looking at rage states, hypothalamic rage states being unable to be regulated by the higher centers. There is now strong evidence to show that the right hemisphere regulates these, these states at a non-conscious level, and especially the high right frontal system, the orbital frontal system, the attachment system, regulates these rage states. We're also understanding that there are two different types of rage, a predatory attack rage, more or a, less a cold-blooded rage, and then a hot-blooded rage, which has fear underneath it. These models are giving us a better idea about how to deal with aggression in the therapeutic alliance, how uh, it can be um, communicated, how it can be understood, and how it can be regulated. On the broader front, we're now looking at in the more severe cases that we have to now move in er, into early uh, prevention. In all cases whereby you have a dysregulation, of uh, severe dysregulation and violence, you're always seeing early histories of abuse and neglect. So, this means on a broader frame, we have to be able to track these infants, these children. We have markers now in infancy and in childhood as to what a dysregulation of rage looks like. We have to be able to move in earlier with these treatment models. But the neurobiology has been worked out, and again, it's pretty clear. We're now looking at the early origin of violence, not as purely a genetic disorder, but as a result of the early gene-environment interactions that comes out of the early attachment relationship, especially associated with early experiences of neglect
0: and abuse. What about suicide, rage against the self, if you will?
1: This internal attack state also can be understood neurobiologically. All areas now of psychiatry and psychology are moving now into the neurobiological underpinnings here so when the aggression is internally uh, directed to the self so to speak especially in dissociated states We're now beginning to understand more and more what that looks like and how that could be dealt with as a disorder of affect regulation and how it could be dealt with in a psychotherapeutic treatment. This is not an uncommon area for many psychotherapists, but I would suggest that the older models which were focusing on conscious awareness and changing cognition really are not going to get to it. We're looking at a psychobiological problem here.
0: So how does that change the nature of the practice of psychotherapy?
1: We are now moving towards a generic model of the change process that cuts across all schools. And therefore, it's bringing us into those variables that all different schools of psychotherapy through the research have been shown to be important ones. I mentioned one, empathy. Another one is the therapeutic alliance. There are now hundreds of studies showing that the therapeutic alliance, that is the alliance between the doctor and the patient, the therapist and the patient, is critical to the change process in the patient. We're now understanding that essentially the key to the therapeutic alliance is more so than the verbal conscious cognitions. It's the emotional communications, that are a key to that. And they are a key to the relational, the subjective connections between the therapist and the patient, not only in terms of body, excuse me, of cognitions, but also of minds.
0: I want to thank Dr. Alan Shore, who's been our guest. And we've been discussing neurobiology within psychiatry. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com.